you know, the job that I have today is very different than a job that I'll have in a year. I'm almost kind of preparing for that job, which will be kind of more like my old job in the sense of, you know, you hit scale, you're handling claims, you're posting reserves, you're elevating things. But now it's just such a special and unique time because you're, you're building out the systems, you're, you're talking about things, you're trying to develop like the best practices and how we're going to like interact and, and do business. And it's, it's a really cool time and we're able to kind of support our underwriters and, and kind of getting things off the ground and building their relationships with, with brokers and showing that we're here to kind of support the products. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense of Us. I'm your host, Megan Henry, and today I am running solo without a co-host, um, but I am joined by Ari Magnadoff, and I'm super excited to have him. Um, Ari is the Senior Vice President at um, Westfield Specialty, which is a kind of a newer startup insurance company that is a subsidiary of Westfield Insurance. Um, and he's here to talk about his career and like, you know, he he's a lawyer. He you know practiced for a some time and then you know moved in the insurance industry and now is on this new adventure um and has a lot to say about it and it's super exciting so let's bring him in good morning ari welcome to the defense of arrest how are you today morning uh very excited to be here thank you for having me <laughs> i'm excited i'm excited to have you as well you and i had talked i mean i think we talked like it was in october i think it's been been a while since we chatted um, we've it had this time at the yes, <laughs> and per spoiler alert for anyone, we're recording this on Groundhog Day, so I guess we're in for more winter if you believe in that Groundhog. <laughs> we were had... talking about that on on my driving my kids to school today, and we didn't know if if he saw his shadow or not, and then we were trying to figure out which what was it if he saw his shadow. We have more like winter, or do we get earlier? Like, we, we we couldn't figure it out, so and we didn't have time to look it up. And we really haven't had much of a winter in the Northeast that much anyway. It's been pretty, it's New York, upstate New York has gotten the brunt of the winter this, <laughs> this year. Yeah. I, I think I, I cursed our winters when I paid to have my like snowblower like cleaned up last year and ready to go. And then it pretty much hasn't snowed since. So yeah, that, that is the problem. Yeah. It's either if you get it fixed or you buy one, then you're good for like five years. You're not going to use that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not here to talk about the weather, although you'd be surprised mm -hmm. how often we end up talking about the weather. <laughs> lucky, lucky for all our listeners that we continually always talk about the weather. Um, but, you know, we're here to talk about you and like, what what you do and, your, you know, your um, kind of how you got to where you are. And, you know, I, I, I have an, a lot of lawyers uh, on this podcast and everyone has a different path and different reason why they went to law school or you know and why they decided to go to law school so I'm curious you know what you know your path was was it something that you had planned to do or you kind of fell into doing like like me uh, I just knew there was nothing else I could do <laughs> with my college degree so I had to find something else to do but I'm curious to hear what your path was yeah I mean my, if you went back to when I was really young, you know, I wanted to be a plastic surgeon, a doctor. Like that was like, like what I wanted to do. I went to University of Miami for my undergrad. Um, and I actually worked at 
this, it's called like the faculty club and, you know, various like school organizations had, you know, they, they would like rent it out for like events. So there'd be like a weekly, you know, doctor's group and a weekly lawyer's group. And I was just one of like the servers there. So you set up, clean up. And over those, like the year that I worked there, like I just found that I got along with the lawyer group a lot better than the doctor group. And at the time I was kind of pre-med microbiology major in my first year. And I kind of woke up starting my sophomore year saying, gee, you know what? I think I'd rather be a lawyer than a doctor. And I um, switched my major to political science and history. I double majored and kind of went on my way. And my kind of journey heading into law school, like I, I love technology. Like I, I liked my, my second job after the faculty club at the University of Miami was working at their technology product center. And I got to like put computers together and order them for people and kind of do all this stuff. And I was like, you know what? It's like 1997, 1998. Tech is hot. The internet is kind of blossoming. Gee, I really want to do high tech law. Like that would be like yeah. the goal. And um, at the time I was looking at law schools on the West Coast and it was really between like Santa Clara and Silicon Valley and Seattle University in Seattle, which were like the two like hotspots for tech. And that's how I ended up in, in law school there. And then as everyone knows, comes late 99, 2000, the dot-com burst or dot-com bubble bursts and yeah. And, you know, all, all your you know, best laid plans are now <laughs> gone, uh, gone awry. So um, I, you know, I, I had to kind of regroup and, and figure out what I wanted to do. But once you have that kind of law degree, you know, sky's the limit, right? Yeah. And a lot of pivoting happens, too. I mean, I, I graduated during the um, real estate crash. And I had gone in being like, oh, I want to do real commercial real estate, you know, transactional work. And that clearly was not happening. <laughs> so <laughs> there was no jobs to be had there. So I ended up in litigation. So, um, you know, how, how did you pivot once you're in law school? Like, how did you, was it when you got, when you graduated, you're like, okay, let's just, let's take the jobs I can, well, I can get, or, you know, how did you approach it? Yeah. So, I mean, interesting, right? Like when you get into law school, there's no like, hi, I want to be a high tech lawyer. Like, here, here's, here's the course curriculum. Um, what happened was I be, I realized very quickly that most lawyers who were involved in like tech were patent lawyers and you had to have like a really like a science degree background. So it's kind of like, okay, maybe that's not going to work. Right. There, there's no, like, there isn't a way to do it without having that type of degree, unless you're going to go into corporate law mm -hmm. and just advise companies that happen to be tech companies. And so I just started focusing my like elective coursework on like stuff like corporate governance, um, other business law like classes. And um, I found that you know, I was really enjoying it. And at the time, uh, you know, 
Delta Airlines. I, I, I was flying back and forth between Florida and and um, Seattle a lot, and I was flying Delta a lot. And they had a um, like they were going through like the pains that airlines went through in the late '90s, and they were changing their Sky Miles program. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking, I'm like, and there were all these, you know, these these best customers who were feeling kind of disenfranchised by these changes, changes hard, and they didn't like what was happening. And I ended up thinking about it. I'm like, wow, are by disenfranchising these, like their best, this core group of customers, customers that spend the most money on this airline that really are the kind of bread and butter of, of how they make money, are they, are they like disenfranchising these people at the expense of their shareholders? And is there like, a potential, you know, like some type of like governance issue that comes out of that. Like, are, are you creating, are you making decisions that are going to like have a negative impact on the company and the bottom line? And, and are the, you know, is the board making decisions that are sound for the company by, by impacting the frequent flyer program so much? So I, I wrote an article that was like in CCH issues in aviation law on on this issue and i was kind of like really enjoying corporate governance and yeah. securities and kind of all those different things so i think i left law school thinking hey would love to do you know something in, in this realm around securities around corporate governance around kind of risk management and and so that's kind of how i got to like that next step with was a kind of odd way to get there but that was but when i left law school it was 2003 and it was like almost like the the age of like massive corporate frauds right you had mci worldcom yeah. you had enron, enron. <laughs> you had like um yeah just about you had uh yeah, I, I think I'm trying to think of the other ones. I, I, I think I worked on all of them in, in some form or fashion. Yeah, I think the, the Lehman Brothers like meltdown was then too. Like there was there was so yeah, much. It, yeah, Lehman came like a few years later. Um, I think it, it was just there was someone doing something bad somewhere at the expense of someone else, and it, it was at, at on a large scale and it created a lot of job opportunity um, for young lawyers, but it was very like tedious and mind numbing work. <laughs> the things that they, you don't realize going in, like the overarching theme of it is exciting. Like, but the, the work that you need to do to make it happen, I mean, someone has to do the tedious work and that's just, you, no one talks about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, as as a young lawyer, you're, you know, whatever they can find you, you're, you're reviewing documents, you're, you're tagging things, you're, you're attending depositions and writing deposition summaries for like partners, you know, later in the day, you know, to read and, and, and there's, there's a lot of grunt work. I, it's, I found like my first couple years out doing that and you never felt like like you weren't writing like you were writing but you're just writing summaries you're writing reports you're maybe doing little research projects here and there but on these like kind of mega cases 
there was just very le little legal work there. I wasn't going to court. I was going to depositions, but it, it this felt very like not what you went to law school to do. Yeah. And um, and I did that for for a couple of years. And then I, I went to a much smaller firm from where I had been to really kind of branch out and go to court and write briefs and and kind of like hone my craft, I guess, so to say. And, and that happened to be an insurance defense firm, um, which also had an insurance coverage sec, you know, group. So I was, I was kind of working in both mm -hmm. and, and, and under starting to learn insurance and, and, and like the work that I do now. Um, and so was that part, at least I found when I came out and, you know, got, got a real job, um, in law school, I, the insurance defense, like, I, I didn't know what that meant to me and until I actually started doing the work. And so, you know, I, I didn't completely understand at the time how much insurance is behind pretty much everything until I started it, it, doing the work. So was that like, was that eye opening to you being like, oh, man, like there's this whole machine kind of be, behind this that like it, it didn't even occur to me that really existed in my mind insurance was just something you had on your car you know or or, or you had home insurance homeowners insurance but i i didn't understand the how grand it was no i mean sometimes you think that like almost like the insurance industry funds the legal industry in some mm -hmm. form or fashion or or a good portion of it, especially litigation uh when i was working on enron and, and, and my original job and, and dealing with that matter, that mess. Um, you know, I, I, like any other young attorney, I come in, I bill, you know, bill your nine, 10, 12 hours a day, whatever it was, you know, you go home. And I don't think I, I think after the fact, I realized that our client at the time was probably seeking insurance coverage for that. And there was probably an insurance carrier paying all those bills. Mm -hmm. And you don't really, no one talks about it, right? They, they talk about the client, but I'm sure that there was insurance or they were trying to seek insurance for, for that. And I think so many litigations um, have this like kind of tie to insurance. You think of so many securities litigation, securities class actions, all those companies buy insurance to protect the interests of both the entity and their directors and officers in those situations. And, and I'm not sure, I know the partners who work on those matters understand the insurance, but I think when you're a young attorney, you just have no idea. And like you said, insurance is health, insurance is car, insurance is probably for living in New York renters, not homeowners. Um, and <laughs> And, and that that's it. And I think it's as you grow in the legal world, you start to realize this kind of symbiotic relationship between litigation and insurance and and our insureds. And and there's this it's it's a massive business and there's a lot going on there. And they don't I don't even think law school really touches on the relationship that much and, and they may not understand it or appreciate it because they're not involved in it i know but sometimes i think it should be like the practical side of practice i feel like should be 
more prevalent in law school. And some law schools, I think it is. I think some of the law schools that have um, the co-op type programs that, you know, they split up the the years and you get more um, hands-on experience. But I do feel like they, as a whole, there probably needs to be a little, maybe adding some more of that practical aspect of it. So, you know, you don't have all these lawyers come out a little green-eyed that don't understand how all the business works. Now, of course, you're not going to come out knowing everything, but I mean, I, I would have appreciated being a little more knowledgeable about how the the litigation, at least the litigation insurance world works before I started working in it. Like maybe it would have helped me, I think, at least in that first year or two. Well, and, and I think even for like looking for work as, as a young lawyer, there are so many opportunities for young lawyers at these insurance defense firms, and they're great places to go and get like real world experience as a lawyer they you know they, they're not as they, they don't operate like a big like white shoe firm where they're like okay you're going to be a summer associate and then you're going to be a 1l and or not 1l you know first year in um in, in at the law firm and do these like you know and maybe it's not to your fourth or fifth year that you kind of get to go do real legal work Whereas at these insurance defense firms, I remember my, my first day at um, the, the firm that I was at um, after um, I had started there, and this must have been my third or fourth year as a lawyer. And one of the uh, more senior associates at the time was like, hey, I need you to cover a um, calendar call for me in Brooklyn. <laughs> and and don't worry, the judge won't make you argue. You just need to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, cool, you know, put on the suit the next day. And it was literally my second day of work there and <laughs> figure out, I'm like, okay, I'm in Hoboken. How am I going to get to Brooklyn and leave my house at like 5.30 AM yeah. so I can <laughs> Go to take the, the path <laughs> into like New York and figure out what train I need to take to Brooklyn. And, and I get there and I get to the courthouse, go through security. I'm like, where, where do I go? Like, <laughs> what do I do? How do I do that? Like, what, what do I, like, I don't understand. Like, I don't, there's no instruction booklet. There's no, there's no one working or is going to tell you to, how to do anything. Right. And well, and for, and not to interrupt, but in, in New York in the boroughs, that's its own animal. Like, I mean, you, there, there needs to be an instruction book on how to handle a, a, a call, like, like a, you know, a calendar call in New York because there's different floors. There's notes on, like, there's the sheets on the wall that you need to go find. <laughs> well, and and so, like, like I knew enough. I'm like, okay, what judge is on this? But then I go to their courtroom, and there's no one in there because they're doing the calendar calls. And some, like, you know, it, it's like like a like a cattle call. It's like yes. it's it's just big room, and and I, I think there was like. I think there was a lawyer who was there who's one of those kind of per diem guys. He just appears for folks who can't make yeah. calendar calls. And, and that's kind of how he, he makes his living. And I, I, he saw me kind of confusingly looking, I'm looking on those papers like that are stapled to the, the door of the courtroom, trying to figure out what's happening. And he's like, you know, come with me and then <laughs> you go and you sit in this room and you literally wait for like, two and a half hours for them to eventually call your thing and your, your case and and you just say blah 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 and judge is like okay next like and 
you know, and, and then off, off you go back to, to the firm. But I mean, for me, it was, it was cool to, you know, as I'd done the deposition things, I, I felt like I was a lawyer, mm-hmm. but now I really felt like a lawyer. Like I went to court, I, I did something and I was kind of excited to be doing more at the time and i think insurance defense allows young lawyers to have those experiences oh it certainly does and i've had this discussion with so many people um like when you see like the the big big firms like release their like up their new first year salaries and these first years are making like boatloads of money straight out of law school and like i i've joked with people i mean like man like if you get a second or third year associate from a mid to small insurance defense firm and throw them in there they will know how to do the work more than these first years who are getting paid who knows what um and they're you know they, they're much more equipped to actually do at least for litigation you know they they but that's not the type of litigation that these large firms are obviously doing but i i i often think the model is a little confusing because like when you 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 have your boots on the ground and you're in the in the courtroom you're doing the arguments very like right off the bat and that's experience that you know cannot be matched um and a lot of it too is learning on your feet i mean that i remember i had a very similar experience going into what we in philadelphia it's discovery court but i used to call it kindergarten court because that's essentially what it is and it, it is very similar to new york and you just get thrown in there and um but you learn a lot i remember being so nervous the first time but then when you're listening to all the other people make arguments, you're like, oh, all right. Like, I, I think I know what I'm doing, too. Like, these, because you go in, you think all these people are smarter than you, too. And you go and you're like, hmm. yeah, no, I think I got this. Like, I, like we're all in the same boat here. And, 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 and then go ahead. it's not like TV, right? Like, you envision this, like, very formal, you know, you're in a courtroom. And, and even when you go to, like, a trial, um, you know, it, it has these stops and starts and, and everyone's kind of like doing their thing and, and it doesn't have the drama, right? That, that the television drama of being a lawyer or being in court, it's just very like functional and technical and, and yeah. stuff like that when, when you're actually there. And, and for some folks, I mean, I think by like six months into that job, so that you you had it down and and made you know i i would my practice at the time is gee my mornings were like spent dealing with insurance defense work in in court and then my afternoons were spent kind of dealing with coverage and 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 doing insurance coverage and it was it was like a nice balance between the two that's a really good balance to have because you, you get a really good understanding like of what's behind it all um and just there i mean there's a lot of critical thought that goes into you know insurance defense work and you know working up a, a case and working on your defenses but i mean in coverage there's i think the critical thinking is to a whole other level and your writing has to be to a whole another level at least that's that's my personal opinion about it i think you just have to really dive in with coverage and i think that really bolsters your ability to do the other side so i think that that's probably was a perfect combination for you yeah it was it like that year at that firm um that had kind of that working on those two 
it, it was a good experience. Just, I was getting the necessary litigation experience to understand what's happening. It, like when you start working insurance coverage, you need to understand the litigation in order to know the inflection points and maybe when to try to settle or, or what's what. And when you're talking to your business partners, being able to explain to them what's happening in the underlying litigation and and it kind of sets you up for success in trying to resolve those matters. When you don't have that litigation background, you really need to take the time to teach it to yourself because I think it'll make you a better coverage attorney to know what's going on um, in, in the matters that you're dealing with um, because it's so critical in terms of how to drive them to a positive and successful resolution um, and, and to know what you're heading towards at, at like any given moment in time. Yeah. But also in that, to segue that forward though, I think having that, that especially that coverage background probably really helped you when you moved over to go in-house. Yeah. So in, so I worked at that firm for about a year that was a mixture of defense and, and coverage and, and they ended up closing their New York city office and kind of consolidating on Long Island. And I was like, gee, I don't want to really commute from New Jersey to Long Island. Sounds pretty <laughs> miserable. Um, like quite large city train. in between you. Like it's like no one wants to go through Manhattan to, to get to work. Um, and and so, like, did you really want to move to Long Island? I don't know. Like, yeah, it's no, very we, expensive too. <laughs> we were living in Hoboken at the time. And, and I think we had more eyes set heading into New Jersey out where I am now versus going to Long Island. Um, but around the time that that was, that firm was closing their New York City office, another coverage firm that was more coverage and less defense that I think they did litigation around, they didn't make a little bit of insurance defense, but they recruited me to do really um, coverage. Uh, you had reached out and I went to that firm for about three and a half, four years and really learned what I needed to know in terms of writing, in terms of understanding the insurance carriers. And it really kind of gave me the foundation that I needed to go in-house. Um, I want to say around 2010 is when I made the jump from private practice to in-house at, at a carrier in their claims organization and you know it, it's kind of funny because you go from oh, okay i'm on a i'm on a senior associate track could i be up for partner could i not to okay now you're a claim specialist and you're back at like the bottom of <laughs> of, of the totem pole and <laughs> it's gotta is, be hard I think a tough pill for people to swallow yeah, yeah it, it is but then i mean you also have to sh like reach in and understand like, well, you, it's tough to be down at the bottom, but like there's so much room to grow as, as you now know where, where you are now, you just have to kind of take it as it comes and be okay with, you know, not being at the top of or close to the top of the pecking order and just work your way up. Yeah. And, and I think that um, there's just so much you have to learn. Like you have to learn how to, um, 
interact with your underwriters and your business partners and how to interact with brokers and how to interact internally with the other claims folks and the people above you and how to elevate elevate things i, I see you're, you're getting your, your glare it's <laughs> like i need i side note i need like an electric shade like i need like a remote for my shade i think yeah <laughs> it, it, it was just like you had the light come in shine in on you um <laughs> yeah. Like the like someone's party. reaching up from from above trying to take me exactly <laughs> so um yeah no i i think that i found um that having that coverage background at the firm was great for coming in internally and gave me at least the foundation i needed but i, I agree i mean you really got to start at the at the bottom in the insurance world to, to understand it and understand how it all kind of pieces together and, and how to interact with folks and then you can kind of start your, your kind of way up. And, and you're absolutely right. There's so many opportunities to grow at most carriers, both internally within your carrier or to then leverage that and, and go to another carrier for, for opportunities if, if you eventually start hitting a ceiling where you're at. Yeah. So, you and you're with that carrier for, for over 10 years and you kind of worked your way up and through, right? Yeah, so I was... I started there in 2010 and I was there till 2022, which was last year. So yeah, I, I started as a claim specialist. I became a senior claim specialist, eventually like an AVP and a claim manager, and then eventually head of their uh, management liability claims group. And, you know, when you made the move over to go in-house to a carrier, like, did you then have and I'm sure the, the answer is yes, it, it kind of changed your perspective on, I'm sure on your lawyering and like, kind of like things may, I, I just feel like you would reflect on, wait, I was, you were doing, I was doing this all along, but like, hey, now that I'm in-house, I understand like what the carrier needs or what that adjuster needs. And it kind of changes your mindset a little bit. Yeah, I think that, you know, you just, you start to, it's just a different focus, right? Like you, you answer to so many different people, like when you, as a carrier, right, you have your obligations and your duties to your insured, right? The people who bought the product that your company sells and really is paying for your, the service, the claim service, right? Like that, that's what they're selling. They're selling your claim service and how you help them navigate this kind of trying time in uh, their life as either a company or as an individual, as a director, as an officer, wh whatever it is. Um, you know, they bought this product from your company and when they're in need, it, it's, it's kind of your opportunity to help guide them and use your expertise and, and experience to help do that. I think that, um, that you also have to deal with your internal and external business partners, and you have to deal with your um, senior stakeholders and claims. And they all, like, it's different messaging for each one because they have, they have different needs and different expectations, and, and they have to answer to different folks. And you have to learn how to navigate all those different conversations, which isn't an easy task um, for, like, really anyone because the information, you know, the, 
you're, you're and, and you also got to work with defense counsel. So there's all these different folks that claims people have to yeah. deal with and interact with, and you have to make sure that you're sharing the proper information with them and that you're engaging them in the right way to try to bring everything in for like a soft landing, so to say. Yeah. So was there anything like, did you, once you were in that role though, is there anything that you realized that maybe you were doing as outside counsel or that your outside counsel was doing that was very unhelpful or like that you're like, man, I can't believe I was doing that all this time. Like this is just not assisting the process or, or, or something that you're like, I wish counsel understood better to make the process move more uh, smoothly. So I, I think there, there are a couple of things. I think when I was, when I was both doing insurance defense and coverage, there was like this, they love for us to write like big, long reports and, 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 you know, get those reports to insure that was kind of like, here's the whole claim. Here's the, you know, here's what's happening in the underlying litigation. Here's our thoughts on coverage. Here's our recommendation. Here's our draft coverage letter. And what I've found is that like those big reports aren't, terribly helpful like um carrier representatives hey they don't have a ton of time to sit down and read like a 15 page report what they really need is you know to help you for have like whether it's a a coverage attorney who's advising you or counseling you or or insurance defense firm that's defending the insured you know it's what happened? How did it happen? What's their story versus the other story? And and what are our avenues for resolution? And and what what's it worth? And I don't think there are a lot of young attorneys who work at these firms that don't see things that way, and they don't always fully understand that internally I have an obligation to post reserves within our financials to account for for claims and. I need to be able to say, okay, well, this claim is potentially worth X or Y or Z, and I need to post a reserve based on that. And and there needs to be an adequate time to do that. You can't call an insurance carrier a week before a mediation and say, hey, we're having a mediation, by the way, I think <laughs> it's, it's we need $10 million. It, it is, it, they, you need to give your insurance carrier clients time to digest the information, ask the questions that they need to ask. So then we can have the internal conversations with our stakeholders to properly elevate things, prepare the company for this, this potential financial hit, and then be prepared for mediation so you can participate properly and, and adequately. And I, I think that sometimes insurance defense lawyers and even sometimes coverage lawyers don't appreciate or understand like that timing component. And the ones that do are, are very successful because they know what to get you, how to get it to you, and and to kind of allow you to be successful with all those different people that you need to interact with. Yeah, I, I find I see this a lot. Like I, I, I and I hear that, I hear that complaint uh, uh, all the time um but 
I do feel like with, especially with younger attorneys and maybe not always younger attorneys, any attorneys, they feel like, well, our worst is like what, like what we put out, what we put out there. So there's like, feels like there's this need to add extra information just because like they're doing the work. And I think that's where those long reports come from being like, well, I was at this deposition, you know, I need to tell them everything that happened in the deposition. Whereas in reality, maybe you have a summary of the deposition in a separate document that you have all those nitty gritty details. And maybe you attach that to the email report that says the deposition went forward, witness was bad. <laughs> you know, this is what, how it impacts us, you know, and this is what changed and this is what we're going to do next. And so the like, information can be there, but you don't necessarily have to clog all the pertinent information with the excess information. And, and you know, the funny thing, you know, there are some people who still love those long reports and they want to have that information at their fingertips to go look up stuff. And, and I can appreciate that. I, you know, I had one of the partners I worked with at, at that firm, the coverage firm that I worked with for like three years. Um, she always wrote these like amazing executive summaries before every report. And it was almost like, a, all right, I'm going to write this report and it's going to have everything you need, but I'm going to give you like a one to two page lead in that's going to kind of distill it for you as, you know, succinct and as specific as possible. So if you just had to read this, you would be fine. But the meat and potatoes are, are beyond it. And, and I thought that was like a really good way to do it because not everyone has time to like kind of sift through a 15 page report and it's having that one to two page kind of primer that that cliff notes as you know, maybe you would call it to to get to work with is is kind of like a critical. Um, you know, tool thing to have if, if yeah. you're on on the carrier side of things yeah i i i agree and i hear i I'll hear that a lot too like the there's a, a a big wanted need for the executive summary or at least like a sum up <laughs> mm -hmm. a sum up with critical points and maybe let's not read the 15 page report but there are some who like it there and there's i think there's some attorneys who feel good about doing it like there's just some I don't know. <laughs> they just yeah. like, to, like, and I think the heart of it goes with the, the critical thinking. Like, there you're moving all, you're thinking everything through. So sometimes when you have to think everything through, it helps to get it all out there and you know see it. But the I think it goes full circle to understanding the business side um, of insurance that uh, is lacking for a lot of practicing attorneys because it's not you know you don't learn it. You just learn it as you go through. You know your career and some people you know there's some people who are just flat out litigators and they they're not getting involved in the business side you know they just might be involved in the you know they're going to court and their feet bootstraps on the ground the depositions and this and all that and they're not even maybe not even be interested in the business side so they're just there to grind i guess but you need someone mm -hmm. to understand the business side <laughs> no i i mean it's a business and, and to be able to communicate with your business partners, whether it be the underwriting business partners or your broker business partners, I mean, so critical for success of, of the insurance company and for the insureds and, and everyone you're dealing with and being able to a give information to your underwriters so they can, you know, rather regularly so they can like adjust the way that they're doing business like nothing worse than 
to not have information and there's like some type of trend in the marketplace and your underwriters are unaware of it and they can't change how they're underwriting or or how they're pricing products based on um you know this change in the market and to have those discussions with them and to kind of regularly update them is kind of critical i think for you know success internally at, at, a, at a carrier and i think there there are so many different ways to do business internally at a, at a carrier i think there are some places that claims is siloed and and underwriting siloed and, and the two don't talk and then you have like the other extreme where it's like claims can't do anything without underwriting permission and I think there's a good place in the middle that it's I'm regularly talking to my underwriters and, and supporting them and, and helping them um, navigate the, the waters that is writing insurance. And I'm sharing with them trends. I'm sharing with them information on claims, allowing them to be informed and to make good decisions. But at the same time, I'm able to um, post reserves and, and resolve claims without fear of underwriting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a like a happy medium, I think. Yeah. So, and, and I think it's, it's just finding the right place to, to have that balance. Yeah. <clears throat> so let's talk about where you are now, because what you're doing now is exciting. And, you know, when you and I spoke on the phone, it, I mean, you you had a pat. You were really excited about this because it is a great opportunity where you're where you're sitting. And I, I don't want to be on this podcast without uh, talking about it. So because you were at a a a I think larger established carrier, and then you you've moved on to a smaller but subsidiary of a larger carrier. So you kind of have this startup opportunity with you know, some real backing from an established carrier. So I wa want you to talk about that and that your experience with, with that move and kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, so um, uh, our parent company, Westfield, um, you know, they're actually celebrating their uh, 175th year. Yeah. So happy birthday, Westfield. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, they've been around established carrier that they set up Ohio. And, um in I think it was 2021, they, um, you know, I, I think they decided they wanted to branch out and, you know, diversify and enter like the specialty business. And Jack Hune, who had worked at Axis, my, my old carrier with me, you know, many years ago, um, and, and he, June 2021, they started this organization and, you know, with a goal of really introducing Westfield to the specialty insurance market. And they kind of focusing on four core areas, um, financial lines, cyber and pro, um, property and uh, casualty. And, um, and as they were kind of getting started up, um, you know, I'd stay in touch with some folks that I knew had come over with Jack and um, kind of said, hey, you know, congratulations. Looks like a really exciting opportunity. And then we just started talking and uh, I was able to meet our chief claim officer kind of uh, in late 2021. And it just seemed really exciting, like what was happening here. It was 
the excitement of a startup well, with the support of a core um, you know, insurance company behind it that was interested in seeing us be successful and you know, it wasn't being backed by private equity, it wasn't being backed by you know, something that, that wasn't insurance related, but there was this insurance carrier and, um, and it seemed like a very exciting opportunity for me and so I expressed interest and said, hey, look, I, you know, if you're ever looking for a financial lines claims person, I, I would love to uh, come over and, you know, really kind of help you build that part of the organization. And uh, in April of 2022, I, I left Axis to come to Westfield Specialty and, you know, really haven't looked back since. And it's been an amazing and special opportunity. And I feel like it doesn't come around in your career many times to have this type of um, opportunity. I think, you know, for me, it just seemed like such a special and tremendous opportunity to um, join Westfield Specialty and kind of help build the claim organization, build the culture, um, kind of help support our chief claim officer and building the organization that, that she wants um and and we all come from other carriers with like really great experiences and and we know what we liked and what we didn't like and we can build a claim system that we we like from scratch and so we can just do all these things that and and try to avoid the limitations that we had in our other jobs yeah and, and so it, that, that's almost, really exciting yeah it's almost like you can i mean you're designing your perfect workplace and your perfect like um user experience for for your insureds and you know how you approach claims and you know how like the the processes that you use so i mean it, it, it's incredible to get in on that early on and just be part of paving paving the path mm -hmm. but, yeah I, I think yeah oh go ahead um it, it's just it doesn't come along very often in, in one's career. And, you know, for me, I was like, wow, this is something I really want to do. Um, and, and I, and I think everyone who's kind of joined us, you know, kind of feels very similar that it's just it's such a unique and special opportunity. And, you know, I kind of say this a lot here. I'm like, you know, the job that I have today is very different than a job that I'll have in a year. I'm almost kind of preparing for that job which will be kind of more like my old job in the sense of, you know, you hit scale, you're, you're handling claims, you're posting reserves, you're elevating things. But now it's just such a special and unique time because you're, you're building out the systems, you're, you're talking about things, you're trying to develop like the best practices and how we're going to like interact and, and do business. And it's, it's a really cool time. And we're able to kind of support our underwriters and, and kind of getting things off the ground and building their relationships with, with brokers and showing that we're here to kind of support the products. So what, are there any particular things that um, you're doing differently or implementing differently? Not, not to say anything negative about anywhere you used to work, but like, are there things that you're implementing differently here that is a change from you know some common protocols or procedures you used to have no, i mean i think they're like little things um you know we're able 
I think you have, when we were at older established carriers, there were things in the system where there, there are ways to identify claims that you had to use other things, whether it be like a reserve signal or whatever to, to make things, um, you know, to kind of communicate with people. And now we can kind of build into the system that the things that we want and, and need and, and to help us kind of support our underwriters and, and support our insureds and, and to kind of interact with our internal stakeholders. And, you know, we're able to kind of say, can we do that in, in the system? Can we make this easier? Can we make this report that will give us the information we need? How can we get the data? Can we get the analytics from, from the system? And we're, you know, we're able to kind of build a system that will help us do that. And, and, and we, we get to think about those things. And you didn't always have that opportunity at other carriers where they had systems that were already built when you joined. Or, I mean, I assume at some point in time, something was new, but a lot of the systems are older or, you know, at, at older established carriers, it's like, okay, well, I remember in my last carrier, we had to build a new claim system. But, you know, it has to line up a little bit with the old system and some certain things have to flow through and there are certain things that people like that you had to do here. And, and, and so you have limitations there and, and we, we don't have those limitations. Um, we, we get to kind of build something with, with a vision of, of us being successful. Yeah. And also the disruption of introducing a new system when you already have one intact like that, that whole turn process of implementation is a, a painful one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, having a, a legacy system and, and a new system is never easy. And it's always hard on um, adjusters who have to work out of both systems. Yeah. And, and you have to train people on two systems and, and you get, well, when do I pull the stuff from the old system to the new one? Do I ever do that? And, you know, it, it's definitely a challenge. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's great to be able to be here at the beginning and kind of help, um, help set up the vision for the future and build a system that people will be happy to work with. Right. And, and it's so critical. And also that you're working on, you know, building your, a team, you know, and as you said, like it started that, um, you know, there's people from all different, you know, carriers all over and they're bringing their own experiences in um so you you have this opportunity to build this really strong team that is going to collaborate together for for this joint vision you know and there's something really special about that like you're kind of like it's like you're coming to a camp for the first time and you're like what do we want this camp to be and let's all like take our individual experiences to make this the best camp possible yeah, no, I'm excited. You know, I, I've hired my, my first person on my team and she was a, a fantastic uh, ad and and um, and already so excited. She, she's contributing so much to, you know, what we're doing and, and thoughts and ideas and, and how to address things. And and we're seeing that across the claim organization as we build our teams, just different folks coming in with, you know, other ideas and and we're, we're building something together and I think everyone feels that like they're valued and that they're important and you know our chief claim officer does just such a fantastic job in making everyone feel like kind of included and, and and 
and sharing information and, and funneling information down, which is such a you know stickler in some places is like the information doesn't always flow down. Like people get it and hold on to it and don't always share it. And and I mean we're we're just we're having a lot of fun and you know we're working hard and, and we see where we want to go and how we want to get there. And it's just kind of putting everything in place to, to do it. And it, it's been a real um thrilling and rewarding experience thus far and you know coming up in, in a couple months will be like my one year here and and it feels like really good to look back on it and say wow we've done so much and we still have so much hard work to do yeah it, well because i'm sure you know because again you have this mix of you know a startup with you know an established backing so with a startup from whenever i speak with anyone who's at a startup um they're like <laughs> You just never know what's going to happen that that day, and you kind of there's a lot to to learn. Um, but one of the negatives I hear from a lot of startups is financial backing, and you know having to be not ha like not having a lot of that. And in your scenario, you you have at least a established financial backing that might take some of those startup pains that that I hear a lot away. Look, we're just we're just about out of time, and I we've we've covered so much, um, and you've been through so much in in your career. I think so many so many different high points. Um, and if you could like look back and give your younger self some advice, um, what advice would that be? Jeez, it's a, it's a great question, and I, I think it's it's be patient, be confident. Um, never stay in a place too long beyond when you're, you're, you're feeling that it's not the right fit. And then to not try to leave a place just because you want maybe more money that sometimes there's, there's more to life than just that. And, yeah. and that having a great work environment with great people is a very unique and rewarding experience and you know if you have that to stay with it as long as you can yeah. um i think so many folks are just i need to get a promotion i need to get more money i need this i need that and, and i think you know some of the best advice i can share with people is take your time learn build your brand um and try to speak to as many people as you can and learn around you and learn from people who've been there. Like try to find a mentor, mm -hmm. engage with the people above you. You know, if you're a claim specialist, talk to the AVPs, talk to the VPs, talk to your chief claim officer. Those folks love making time for pretty much anyone in the organization. They want their your success is their success. And it's trying to remember that like, yes, they have to manage an organization. Yes, they have to make tough decisions, but they want you to be successful because the entire organization is successful. And I think that being able to, you know, I read the, the multipliers book and looking at people like kind of who look for those people to help make the people around them multiply and be better and, and try to work with those people and, and, and seek them out and try to avoid the like diminishers 
out there. Like, and, and when you find one, be quick to say, okay, maybe this isn't the right fit and, and look for another opportunity. Things can always be explained on a resume and people understand and appreciate that and they'll see it as maturity. If you're like, look, I just, I went to a place and it wasn't the right fit and I moved on to somewhere else to, to find success. And, and that's a very reasonable answer to get the people if you had a short stint somewhere. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice for yourself, your younger self, and for, I mean, like, that's a great advice that you can pass on to, like, your kids. I try to say a similar type thing to, to my kids, too. Like, don't don't be with someone who's putting your light out. You know, you want someone who's going, don't have to be someone who's going to blow out your flame. So I think that that's, yeah. that's great advice. Um, well, Aria, I, I really appreciate you, you taking, you know, the time out of your morning. I know you said you had to four o'clock. You do not. <laughs> No, I don't. <laughs> but I, I, I things change. That's how this industry is. You know, you go in yeah. one day with your to-do list, and it usually gets shot to shit by ten o'clock. So <laughs> yeah, no, life is unpredictable. But no, thank you. This was really exciting. Um, I'm, I, I'm glad that you reached out, and I'm, I'm happy to be able to uh, engage in this this fantastic opportunity. And and I. Look, actually looking forward to kind of going back and watching some of your prior podcasts. There are a lot of them, so it'll take yes. a while. Yeah, it might. Uh, well, thank you so much for, for joining me. And I, again, I appreciate you taking the time. And for, you know, again, our listeners out there, if you like what you hear, please like and subscribe to the Defense of Arrests on Apple Podcasts. And you can also find us on YouTube at TDNR Podcasts. Thank you.